Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. If you've got your Bibles, go to Jonah chapter 3. We are continuing in our series on the book of Jonah and a series that we have called I Am Jonah. And um, if, uh, if, you've, if you've just joined us in these uh, in this past few weeks, uh, we started in, in Jonah 1, obviously, and um, just talking about Jonah is one of those guys, and by the way, the title I Am Jonah is, is there because when you come to a, a story like this one, the tendency is to, is to distance ourselves from a guy who's made a mess of his life. Um, we, we aspire to admire the, the great biblical heroes, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing to, uh, you know, to want to be more like some of the biblical heroes. But when you come to a story like Jonah's, uh, the, the, the tendency, or actually what we should realize is that this, this guy's a lot like us. God speaks, we go in the opposite direction. Um, and and a, couple, a couple weeks ago when Jennifer talked to us, she told us about how that when we, when we engage in our escapism, what, what happens is we tend to not just hurt ourselves, that other people get, get swept up uh, when, we, when we escape and run from God. So it's, we're not only hurting ourselves. In the, in the Jonah story, we got sailors who are losing cargo. There's a cost for them. Um, they're having to live with on their conscience the, this moment where they're throwing Jonah overboard. Um, that our running from God, we, we, you never run from, from God to nothing. You always run, you always attach yourself to something. And typically people get caught up in that as well. And then last week, we talked about when you hit rock bottom, how do you reconnect with God? And this idea that, that we, sometimes when we mess up really big, we feel like we don't have the right to pray. Yet the reality is, is sometimes God will take us to places and take us to that rock bottom place so that we will have a conversation with him. Um, and and, and we, we saw that last week as we talked about how to reconnect with God after you've really messed up when you've, when you've made a mess of your life. And now we're in Jonah chapter three. Um, it's on page 1,453. If you get a Bible, I didn't bring a Bible. There's one that looks like, just like this one right here. It's a pew Bible. And uh, 1,453, you'll, you'll go to that page, you'll find uh, the story that we're gonna be engaging in today. Jonah three. Um, what I wanna do is I'm just gonna work my way through the text. I wanna just point out four things that that we should know about God as we look at this text. Um, and, and, and here's the deal. If this is the only chapter we had in the entire Bible, it would give us a wonderful picture of who God is. I mean, if we had one page of scripture and it was Jonah chapter three, we, we'd have a, a fantastic picture of who God is. And, and having that picture is, is good, but what's even better is a reminder for us that because we're disciples, we're following Jesus, we're believers, but we're also followers, right? We, we're followers. So part of following is understanding there's a destination to discipleship. And the destination is, is increasingly imaging who God is to our world and to each other. And so it's important that we have an accurate picture of who God is so that we're representing and imaging him well. So what I want to do is just work our way through the story. We'll hit the pause button uh, here and there and do some reflection um, and ask ourselves some, some questions as we learn more about God together. So Jonah chapter 3, I'm going to read one verse, then we're just going to pause right there. It says, then the Lord spoke to, to Jonah a second time. We'll stop right there because we learned something from God about God all, already. We learn that, that God is a God who, um, who comes to people even after they've blown it. 
We, we, God is a God who gives people second and third and fourth and fifth and fortieth chances. He is a God, what is put up here on the screen, God prefers, it seems God prefers to use failures. I mean, if you see this, the, the story, the grand story in scripture, you see people like Moses, Moses the murderer becoming Moses the deliverer. David the adulterer becoming David the king. Peter the coward the, the guy who denied Christ three times, who, who wanted to distance himself from Christ. Peter, the, the coward, becoming Peter the rock. Saul, the persecutor, the attacker of the church, becoming Paul, the planter of churches. Have, have you noticed this about Scripture? That, that God uses people who have, not, not little messes, they're pretty major messes. But when they come to rock bottom, when they come to a place where they, where they are turning back to God, God, they're in the perfect prime position to be used by God, which is really good news for us, right? Raise your hand if you've never failed. If you raise your hand, you failed, right? I mean, we, we are the company of people who mess up. I got great news for you. You're usable in God's kingdom. He, he wants to use you to advance his work and his purposes. Yet there's something about us that when we mess up and when we, when we, we fail, that we have this, this voice in our heads that, that says we're disqualified. That we don't have, you're disqualified because of that divorce. You're, God, how could, how could God even think about using you because you had that abortion? Do, do you really want to go public with your past? Do you think really that God could? We all, we do this. Those secret sins, those things. But man, if they came out alive, then what well, we need to deal with those things. I'm not saying about sweeping those things under the rug, but we need to understand that when we hit rock bottom and we come clean with God with our failures, we're in the perfect place to be used by him. Your failures do not disqualify you with Jesus. Actually, what it seems to happen is when we acknowledge our brokenness, it puts us in that place where we are, are usable. So right from the very beginning of the story, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. God prefers to use failures. Let's just hit the pause button here and do a little quick little reflection early on in this talk. We'll put it up here in a true or false statement. True or false, I tend to write off failures. This is who God is. God gives second, third, fourth, and fifth, and 40th, and 50th chances. Is that who we are? Are, are, are we a people who, who believe in the, in, in the redemption of one another? Or do we believe in each other even after our failures? And yes, sometimes there need to be boundaries and there needs to be wisdom in how that and what that looks like. But, but if God believes and God allows second chances, then his church should be a place where people get a second, third, fourth, and 50th chance, right? True or false? Is that true of us? Are we imaging and representing him well? Jonah 3, verse 1, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command, which kind of makes me chuckle. Of course he's going to obey it this time, right? The first time, he books it the other way. He gets thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, puked up on the beach. Uh, and, and, and then the, the, the second time, Lord, he, he obeyed. I just kind of think it's kind of funny. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to, went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. 
Nineveh. Uh, chapter four tells us it's a, it's a city populated by about 120,000 people. Large city back in that day. Uh, three days to make your, make your way through it. And, and it, it, maybe it's stating the obvious, but right here from the very beginning, Jonah, the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter one, God speaks and, and, and taps Jonah on the shoulder and says, I want you to go toward the city. And what does Jonah do? He goes away from the city. You gotta see this. While we have a tendency to move away from the messes, away from the dysfunction, away from the sinfulness, God moves toward it. God moves toward Nineveh, Jonah moves away from Nineveh, which tells us something about God, that Nineveh's matter to him. Nineveh's matter to God. God, when he sees sinfulness, yes, he wants it dealt with, but he doesn't deal with it by distancing himself from it. He actually draws closer to the wickedness and the sinfulness and the evil and the violence of the city. Yet there's something within us that wants to back away from, from the mess in the city, from the mess in people's lives. And, and there's something in us that feels like that we're condoning it if we're too close to it, or we might be contaminated by it. Isn't this what Jesus was accused of? Matthew chapter nine, he's picking his team. He chooses Matthew, a tax collector, a traitor in, in, that, in that society. He's going to dinner with Matthew and all his friends and they're having a great time and the Pharisees come and they say to the disciples, why does your master eat dinner and hang out with disreputable sinners, the scum of society? It literally says that in Matthew nine. Why does your, why does your rabbi hang out with the scum? Can you hear sort of the thinking that in their mind? You distance yourself from the mess. And what Jesus ends up saying to the Pharisees is that it's the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. I have come to those who know they are sinners, not to those who think they are righteous. God's heart is for people. God's heart is for Nineveh. He turns toward the city. We tend to turn away or we want to sort of Keep people at bay. A lot of years ago in the first church I was, I was uh, pastoring, it was, it was a church that was just kind of stuck for about four decades, and by God's grace we started to see some people who, um, who started coming and, and discovering who Christ was. And um, it was early on, a leader of the church pulled me aside and said he wanted to have a little chat. He was representing some people who had some, some concerns, which kind of makes me chuckle. We're talking one or 50? I don't, I don't know. Um, but the conversation went something like this, that there were some people that were starting to come to church that were disturbing the other people because they were different. They, um, they, they, there was an aroma to them. Um, they smelled like cigarette smoke. And then I got, an instru- I got, I got some instruction on, on how to um, remove cigarette smoke smell from your clothes. Um, I got per- precise, I mean like ounces of what you'd put in a cup and all that kind of stuff. And, and, how to, and I, should, I should deliver this information to the folks who are coming to the church. So I just took a deep breath and said, friend, you didn't, here's, here's my vision. That our church would be filled with people who smell like cigarette smoke. And um, I wasn't encouraging him to smoke, but I think you get the idea, right? (laughs) By the way, some of you, some of you, you smoke, and I just want you to know, smoking isn't an in or out conversation with God. Some of you have been struggling for a long time to quickly, it's good to want to be healthy. But oftentimes we take behaviors and we attach shame to them 
And we say that we're only as pleasing to God as, 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 as if we do or don't do these behaviors. You see, what happens is we, we have this idea of who God is, this idea of what it means to follow him, and we put that on each other, and oftentimes we have the wrong picture, we have the wrong idea. God moves towards the cigarette smoke. God moves towards Nineveh. God moves toward the messes in our lives. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't want to deal with the issues in our lives that, that need to be transformed. But really what was important is that Nineveh's matter to him, which is why I'm so thrilled about Salem Alliance. I'm so thrilled. This is long before I ever got here. Decades ago, Salem Alliance leaders here were, were having a discussion. It's complex to be a downtown church. I mean, who had parking troubles this morning? Yeah, a lot of you did. It's complex. There's messes downtown. 20-some years ago, almost 30 years ago, the leaders of this church took a vote, and they were deciding whether or not they should buy 20 or 30 acres in the suburbs. And, and as the leaders took that vote, the decision was made that they would not move to the suburbs where there would be plenty of parking, where there'd be, uh, you know, they wouldn't have any issues of being a downtown church. They could be a suburban church not have to deal with those messages. And in a landslide uh, vote, it was determined that we were going to stay downtown. I'm thrilled that Sam Alliance stayed downtown. Now, that's, that's not a statement about churches in the suburbs. I'm, that's not a, it's God's call on us to be in a place where we feel like God's gifted us to be used by him. Because none of us matter to God. People matter to him. And so we need to just do a little reflection. True or false? I move toward people who aren't like me. True or false? Is that who I am? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. We'll pick it up on verse four. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message and, they, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap, burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, he dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Jonah preaches a message, and I think it's a message that he enjoys. I think he's fairly passionate about this message. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. In 40 days, you guys are gonna get what you deserve. In 40 days, you, you dirty, rotten people, you scoundrels, you Ninevites, you, you, you people of terror, you're gonna get what's coming to you, and I think he's preaching this with a lot of passion. Now, some pastors have made the mistake in saying that, man, what a horrible message this was that Jonah preached, and man, what, it was just terrible that he would preach that. Well. In the text, you understand that God actually wrote the message and gave it to Jonah. God gave this message to Jonah. He's preaching it with boldness. I think he's having a great time. He's, he's, he's pre preaching with passion. He's, uh, I kind of, in his mind, I think that what he's picturing is that I'm gonna preach this message and I'm gonna get a lawn chair. I'm gonna sit on the hillside and I'm gonna watch the sequel to Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah part two, Nineveh. And I'm gonna watch God just toast this city. And I'm going to enjoy it. Interesting little thing in his message. He says, 40 days from now and Nineveh will be destroyed. That word destroyed in Hebrew can mean destruction or, dis or destroyed. It also can mean transformation. And, and God might be messing with Jonah a little bit <laughs> in that. But Jonah preaches this 
bold and harsh message, 40 days, and you're toast. And the people respond. I mean, they're Instagramming, they're Facebooking, it hits headline news. And it, it gets, the news gets all the way to the mayor's office. And the, and, and the king in this story takes off his royal robes and he puts on burlap and he mourns and he sits on ashes. And people believe Jonah's message. I'm told that the, the message that Jonah speaks is, is six words in Assyrian, five words in Hebrew, just a, a short, little, simple message, and it transformed the city. Just five words, six words, and the city is transformed. How is that possible? Have you ever discounted what, what God has asked you to say to someone? Have you ever just had this little nudge from the Holy Spirit who just said, I just want to encourage here or speak this, and you've thought to yourself, what difference is that going to make? I've done that. I mean, how is that going to encourage or how is that going to help and and sometimes it's the simple little message that produces this incredible transformation. But oftentimes we discount what God's put in our hearts. And what we can learn about God is, is put up on the screen here, God uses a simple message. We make it complex. We, we often make it more complex than it really needs to be. God is unfathomable, his wisdom unsearchable. There's no end to our knowledge, our potential knowledge of who he is, yet he uses simple people with a simple message. We see this in history. In Wales, in the late 1800s, 20% um, uh, of the population of Wales turned to Jesus Christ. A simple message of repentance was proclaimed. The main industry of that day was the mining industry. And, um, and they're pretty rough guys who worked in the mines. And in those mines, they had these tool sheds, and it was, it was, pretty, it was well noted that, that, that men would steal the tools from the tool shed, and the, and the mining companies were kind of uh, just kind of barely making a profit uh, because they're always replacing tools. When that message of repentance went out, the miners turned to Christ so much so that they started repenting and, and returning tools. And the average mining company that had one tool shed had to build four more because of all the tools that, being, that were being returned. In fact, the, the mining companies were, were so convinced of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that they paid their employees to go to Bible studies because they saw the fruit of repentance. Simple message, transforming a nation. A simple message, turning a city upside down. And oftentimes what we do is we discount the fact that God could use something we might say, God could, God, God could use your gift of hospitality that your gift of, of inviting someone into your home and caring for them, that, that, that God could use that significantly. That, that God could take in that plate of cookies across the street. That, that little nudge could change that entire household. Could change your neighborhood. Because God uses the simple things. That taking that person out to lunch at work could transform not just them, but it actually could transform your workplace. The little nudges the spirit-empowered nudges of God that God gives us, he can use significantly. Now, let's just pause here. 
It's important we reflect on this, true or false. I believe that God will significantly use me. Do you believe that? And when I say significantly, I don't just think quantity or, or size. I mean, it could be a whole city transformed, or it could be your family. It could be your relationship with your kids who right now don't really want to have much to do with you. It could be that marriage is sort of teetering. Do you believe that God will significantly use you? Could he do that? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. We'll pick it up in verse seven. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Sneak peek into chapter four. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. (laughs) Here's what you need to know about your God. God prefers mercy over judgment. He just prefers mercy over judgment. Or as one New Testament writer says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Friends, that's, that's our God. He, this bold, strong message is preached to Nineveh. God wrote the message. It's, it's, it's that message for that day. It, it, it might be the same message. It might be something else that he's, he's put on your heart. Maybe something he's asked you to do. But the reality is, is what God is longing for is that he might, so that none would perish. As, as Peter puts it. His heart is that no one would perish. His heart is that he might lavish mercy. And what he sees in Nineveh, he sees people. I mean, this message is five or six word message. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's missing from it. I mean, there's no list of things of why you're gonna get toasted. There's no pathway to, to getting out from this destruction. And yet the people are mourning and they're fasting and they're putting on burlap and they're putting ashes on themselves because they're thinking maybe, just maybe, God will relent. Friends, God is moved by sincere repentance. He is moved by it. And he longs to lavish us with his mercy. And we, as his disciples who are being conformed to the image of Christ. This is who we are called to be. We're called to be a people who understand we get second, third, and fourth chances. We're called to be a people who move toward the city, who, who, that knowing that Nineveh matters to God, a people, a simple people that can speak a simple message, and a people who are merciful. And we have opportunities for mercy all the time. I mean, you're at that restaurant, they're understaffed that day, you got waiters and waitresses that run around like a chicken with their head cut off because there just aren't enough people uh, on staff that day and and you've ordered your meal and you're kind of frustrated because the meal hasn't come in time and and, and, and the meal finally does arrive and it's got the stuff on your salad you asked not to be there and it's got the wrong side dish, you don't want that, that, those vegetables because you don't like vegetables And, and everything in you should send it back but it took you an hour and 15 minutes to get it but how long is that going to take and maybe it's just pause 
and have mercy on the wait staff. Eat the cotton picking broccoli. Okay. Just, just have mercy. Or it's, it's, it's your daughter who's, this is, this is like every month they lose their coat at school. It's your teenager who's lost their third cell phone this year. And I mean, you just, you want to hurt them. In, in the name of Jesus, but I mean, you just want to help them remember Opportunity. We have so many opportunities for mercy. You're at the, at the stoplight and everything in you, you got the right to honk the horn. Ah, just let it go. Simple display of mercy. A lot of years ago, I was helping some friends move. There's a bunch of us from our church, and uh, we, we, were, we were loading up trucks, and I loaded up our pickup truck, and we're driving uh, on this two-lane highway from the coast in Washington, and we're driving on this winding road, and um, there's a bunch of us driving, and, and I, I noticed, I'm driving kind of slow because I got stuff in the back of the pickup and I want to lose it, and I noticed there's this car behind me and it's flashing its lights at me. And it, the driver's kind of impatient, and, he, and he's, um, you know, he's just kind of weaving and bobbing back there and wants to get around me, and, and you get on the straightaway and there's a car coming the other way, and you can see the frustration in the way he was driving. Um, and finally we get to this long stretch of road where he can pull out and, and he can pass me, and so he pulls out and he hits the gas, and I mean, you can see the exhaust shooting out of his, his, his tailpipe, and he's pulling up next to me, and he just kind of pulls up right next to me and sort of hovers a bit, and then he... I I'm looking out my driver's you know, window and he's looking through the, from the front the passenger window of his car and he gives me the universal sign signal for displeasure, okay? <laughs> and I look over this guy who's, who's, who's doing sign language to me and I see it's Clay. He's a small group leader in our church. He sees me, and was, we're driving next to each other on this, on this stretch of road, and uh, his face just goes white. <laughs> he passes, gets in front of me, slows down, calls me on his cell phone. Pastor Steve, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Clay, it's, it's all right, we'll, we'll, we'll talk. And... Uh, <laughs> It's, it's okay, and 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 he says, well, I mean, I was, "I'm really, I'm really sorry. I'm really, can can you forgive me?" I said, "Of course, I f I'll forgive you. You've given me a sermon illustration that will last a lifetime, <laughs> as long as I get to use this story. I'll forgive you. <laughs> Conditional forgiveness. Can I just tell you, you're going to have a million reasons to be offended. You just will." which means you have a ton of opportunities to extend mercy. Now here, don't mistake me here. I'm not saying that you have to let everything go. I'm not saying you just sweep everything under the rug and you turn a blind eye. Sometimes mercy looks like engaging in confrontation, but engaging at a low level versus, a low level of intensity versus a high level of intensity. The kind of conversation that sometimes can start, we have got to talk. Or a merciful beginning of, hey, can we talk? Can you feel the difference? Mercy isn't just ignoring everything. Mercy oftentimes is just, when you have to have the tough conversation, you just, 
You do it mercifully. Because that's, that's who Jesus is. That's who God is. He gives second chances. He turns toward the messes. He turns toward the city. He uses simple people to speak a simple message. And he prefers to lavish and dispense mercy rather than judge. Now, question. Let's put this up here on the screen. True or false? People who know me would describe me as merciful. We, we, have, we have to ask ourselves these questions. Is this who we are becoming? Now, I, I want to put a quote up here on the screen. Some of you have seen this quote before. It's a little bit longer. It's by a guy named A.W. Tozer. Um, Tozer writes this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about anyone is not what they at a given time may say or do, but what he or she in their deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. Now, I know it's a lot of words and there's some big words there. Let me just give you Tozer for dummies, okay? Here we go. We become who we worship. We become who we worship, which means that if you have this false idea of a God who, who demands perfection and once you blow it, you're out, if you have this idea that God is a God who wants nothing to do with people who have messes in their lives, if you have this idea that God will only use people who've got certain degrees or who are, certain, or are wise enough or smart enough, if you have this idea that God is judgmental, guess who you and I, who we will become? Guess what kind of God our city will experience as we walk outdoors? But if we have this true picture, I mean, if Jonah 3 were the only, only text we had in Scripture, if we had this true picture of a God who uses failures, who gives second and third and a hundred chances, who actually moves toward the city and moves toward our sinfulness, who actually will use simple people who will speak a simple message, sometimes that message is a bold message. Sometimes it's just an act of service. A people who prefer mercy over judgment. Just think of what could happen in our city, in our state, in our nation. I mean, imagine, imagine, imagine people's perception of who God is as the church lived it out. Imagine us pursuing our vision of a city at peace with God and us actually being people of peace, people of mercy, people who believe in the power of God through a simple message. People who move into the city, people acknowledge their brokenness. I think it'll change. It'll change us, it'll change our city. It has the potential to change a nation, as God allows. Now, we'll get into chapter four next week, and we'll look at Jonah and his, his little fit he's thrown, and, and we'll see that. But let's just let's stop. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?
You get a lot of information given you. Just what's one thing Jesus is saying to you this morning? Just, just one thing Holy Spirit is saying to you today. Some of you are hearing words of affirmation, and that's okay. He's saying, you are merciful. Receive it. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you that we have this fantastic privilege of imaging you to our world. Now, Lord, we need your help. We, we need the right picture of who you are. We want to represent you well. So we just, today, we make a declaration of dependence and we say we need you. Fill us, empower us for holiness, empower us to live out the call you've given to us. Give us eyes to see who you are. And by your spirit, be with us as we reflect you to our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, our city. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.